from the poet Mark Nepo, an excerpt from his book entitled Finding Inner Courage. These words. Over the years, I have been broken of my stubbornness into accepting a great many things. Everywhere we turn, there's a need for some form of acceptance. For loss is not alterable. No matter what we try to say, we can't restore what was lost or mask the feelings of grief that it engenders. So the gateway to meaning is not in avoiding loss or getting over loss, but in an effort to accept what is, keeping our hearts open. In Europe in the 1800s, those who had lost someone wore a black band on their arm to let everyone know they were grieving. It was refreshing that this made grief public and communal. Custom was that you would do this for a year. The implication, however, was that by the end of that first year of living without the one you lost, you should have sufficiently grieved and moved on. But ultimately, we live through things and with things. We don't get over things. In truth, grief rings like an echo that doesn't stop and thins to a frequency below the normal hearing of those who have not yet grieved. The truth is, as long as we believe the goal is to get over things, we'll lack the inner skills of living with such things. And all the while, grief, loss, keep thinning till they sound under our breath, in the skin of our ear and the muscle of our heart. Our obsession with avoiding grief is the major obstacle to experiencing true freedom of the heart. At the same time, grief is the chief practice, the chief practice ground for acceptance. Such acceptance, not on an intellectual level, but in the belly of our days. Such acceptance is a way to kneel by the endless stream that runs through our lives. Whether we drop to our knees or are brought to our knees, Drinking from that stream is what makes us wholehearted. In this lived wisdom, may we find wisdom for our living. Starting out with a premise, this this morning that all change is loss and that loss requires grief. It's been noted that people don't resist change, they resist loss. 
whether change is due to death, a difficult change, or the best of circumstances, change requires us to lose something, a dear one, a routine, a relationship, colleagues, familiarity, a place that holds memories, convenience, a known experience. So any change is loss, and loss requires grief. And you know, it's one of those topics we don't learn about unless we have to, or until we have to. Why would we? If things are going great, if we're well and all around us is well, we don't need to think too much about grief and loss. But what that means is that when we do come face to face with losing something or someone, we are generally, most of us, unprepared. We're launched into loss and grief without preparation. Now, the longer we're on life's journey, the more we do it, and we do learn on the job. But no matter our stage in life, we will encounter it as sure as anything. We will experience change. And so we will have to deal with our loss and the grief it brings. As Mark Nepo writes, the gateway to meaning is not in avoiding it, or getting over it, but in the effort to accept what is while keeping our hearts open. It's in that, in that spirit of acceptance that we can acknowledge that we are living in a time of much change and much loss. For some, it's the literal loss of life that we are grieving, loved ones who have died. For others, it is the loss of security or a sense of control. Perhaps it is isolation and the grief of being cut off from familiar routines and community. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll on us the loss of connection. There are many changes and losses. And it's hitting us, and we are grieving collectively. Even with one eye on the future and what-ifs and possibilities, there is still a kind of collective grief in the air, and we acknowledge it. David Kessler uh, wrote in the Harvard Business Review lately uh, something that also helps us to acknowledge something important. He writes about anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief is about losing something we always imagined in the future. This happens with the death of a loved one, but it happens in many other ways as well. We don't only grieve the past and what we don't have anymore. We also grieve 
a lost future, a future that we imagined. So at any point in time, there are two kinds of grief going on, a sense of loss for what was and a kind of unknowing of what might be. There is the reality of the grief of change that we're all experiencing, each one of us. There's a story in our tradition that has some valuable wisdom about grief that I'd like to share. It's a story about a group of Jesus' closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus had learned that his friend Lazarus is ill. Now, when he learns this news, he's still far away from Bethany, that where they live. And he heads there, where, um, and, and he heads to Bethany, and Jesus is literally walking towards death. He doesn't yet know the state of the situation in Bethany with Lazarus. But he's walking toward the imminent death of his friend. And when Jesus arrives there, he enters a scene of grief and loss. Lazarus has died in the days before he arrived. So by the time he gets there, his friend has died. And Mary and Martha approach him. He's still outside of town, and Mary and Martha come running and they say these words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder if that sentiment sounds familiar to us. If only. If only this or the other had happened, we could have avoided this tragedy. And then the story goes on and we hear those around that family say because they knew of Jesus' reputation and they said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man, his friend, from dying? This question reflects a well-worn tradition in the spiritual life. The writings of prayers and psalms are full of crying out. They're full of complaint. And in the world of this story, space is given for that. All the people around Mary and Martha and Lazarus are given space and they're expressing their lament, their grief, their if-onlys, their bargaining, their anger, their complaint. And I think so many of us know through the real lived testament of our lives that there is no simple answer to the cry of why. There are no pat answers. No answers that can ever adequately answer 
our questions about why. No matter what our theological perspective, nothing satisfies our need to make sense of death, of tragedy, of loss. There are no words. This story has one response to those questions, and it isn't with words, it's with actions. A friend arrives on the scene in Bethany and enters into the grief of Lazarus's family. So much so that when Jesus sees the people of Lazarus's community gathered around weeping, he is deeply troubled. When Mary and Martha take him to the tomb where they laid Lazarus, he begins to weep with them. This is a story of a friend present to it all. One not afraid to express compassion and deep feeling to the ones he loves. And if there's any answer to grief, it's this one. The comforting arms, the shared tears of friends and family. Now the story goes on from there to tell of Jesus removing the stone from Lazarus' tomb and calling him to get up and come out, to rise from the dead and to live. Maybe I don't have to say this, but we need to remember that we read these stories metaphorically with an end toward the wisdom that they have to offer. And so in the sequence of this story, how can we ignore the fact that this process of a Lazarus coming alive again comes only after the shared grief and after the tears and after the anger and after the connection and the friendship that happens in that little town of Bethany. This story's wisdom is telling us that with great and deep compassion, one is able to find life among the grief. With care and empathy, any one of us is able to persevere through the changes and the losses, and find that what we have lost still lives. Lives in us. Lives through us. It's wisdom walking among us as though out of a tomb. There is and will be reason to look up, to face life, to face a future, and build it together again. If we accept the premise that I started with, that change is loss and loss requires grief, then we must also presume that everyone, everyone is always grieving about something. If we make this assumption in our encounters with each and every person, we are more likely to pay attention to the grieving that is surely going on within all of us, within the person across from us, within every person we meet. And because of that, well, maybe we're likely to change some of our approaches 
to the people in our lives. Because of that, maybe we're likely to change some of the conclusions we make about other people and their choices and their behavior. When we orient ourselves to the role of grief and the work we're all doing to embrace it, to carry it, to integrate it, we're going to find ourselves becoming less judgmental of one another, more understanding, more able to use our own grief as a way to enter into others, to weep with another, to be searchers together in finding the life in the midst of the change and the loss that we're all experiencing. The title of our series is Finding Our Footing. But the subtitle is Obstacles and Opportunities of Change. We recognize that this All Saints Sunday is a day for pondering the opportunities and obstacles in the grief we carry among all the changes. We are all grieving. We have the opportunity to name our losses. It's hard to voice our grief and to validate our pain, but that is what we have the opportunity to do. To refuse to deny it. That as much as it hurts our heart, that we refuse to stuff it in a bottle. But we'll do the hard work of carrying and sharing the losses we bear with even one person, but especially in community. The obstacle is before us of allowing ourselves to feel and validate our pain, sadness, that's uncomfortable, a deep sorrow that can be scary, and the challenge before us of our healing journey that comes through our emotions, not despite our emotions, but through them. We have the obstacle, too, of recognizing that our grief is not linear or predictable. And gosh, does that ever mean that we're surprised, that we're blindsided by it, doesn't it? It strikes us when we're most vulnerable. We embrace the challenge that grief doesn't go in a straight line, and that's okay. That there's no checklist, there's no schedule for grief, and that we're challenged to avoid judging our own grieving process against someone else's. They look like they're doing fine. Why can't I be? Or judging someone else's against our own. And maybe this is in part why we honor this day every year. That we circle back. We know that grief isn't once and done that we recognize 
that our losses and the grief we have isn't something to fix. It is something to carry. And we have the obstacle, the opportunity rather, of ritual. As we ponder the changes in our lives, what do we need? Do we need to journal about the significance of our loss? Do we need to create a photo book? Do we need to have a conversation with someone that's important? Do we need to visit a place of significance? Do we need a day like today where we name our losses and the people we love? Do we need a blue Christmas gathering? Do we need some way that we haven't thought of yet to help each other find rituals that help us? Whatever it is, we close as we began. Change is loss, and loss requires grief. Mark Nepo reminds us that as long as we believe the goal is to get over things, we'll lack the inner skill of living with such things. May we continue letting our hearts out of its bottle, living wholeheartedly, relying on each other, kneeling by the endless stream that runs through all of life, and not being afraid to drink from it. May it be so for us in so many ways.